chance to come into your presence. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to just gather together in your name. It's good, Lord, to sing your praises, to remember how great of a salvation that you have provided for us in your Son. It's good, Father, to come and to just be able to gather together as this family in Christ. And Lord, will you pray for these tithes and these offerings that have been given, that, Father, you would multiply them for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we just pray that as we come to your word, that, Father, through your spirit, you would speak to us. Make this real, living, and active to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just before the message, I just want to invite uh, Martha Unger to come up and share with us a little bit more about uh, some mission opportunities that we have as a church. Good morning, everybody. Uh, The missions ministry team is really excited to start a new prospect. Um, As we all know that the conference supports many, many missionaries uh, within our conference, and our church has been asked to sponsor six of those those missionaries. And um, you've probably seen them on the screen before the service, and uh, they're also in your bulletin. Uh, You can read them. Uh, First one is Karina Jansen in Papua New Guinea, Guillermo and Marianne Redekop in Africa, Ben and Margie in Mexico, Sarah Enns in Manitoba, uh, Bill and Helen, uh, our conference accountants in Manitoba, and uh, Daryl and Elaine, and uh, they're also in Manitoba. And uh, what we're asking, we're looking for individuals to help us sponsor these people with, um, with your prayers, daily prayers, and also maybe sponsor them by, uh, by writing an email, um, sending them a Bible verse, maybe a Christmas card, Something like that. Um, I think we're all familiar with this. Uh, We all did it with Isaac and Sarah Unger, and uh, basically the same idea. And uh, so if you're interested, come talk to myself or uh, Bill Unger or uh, Ava Unger, and um, we've got lots of of more details for you. And uh, secondly, we're also looking for more people for the missions ministry team. Um, If you've got some ideas for us or if you're interested in helping us out, Come talk to us, and uh, we'd love to have you join our, join our team. Thank you. Good morning. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Florida before, but if you're like me, you know that when you're driving down, you get into Florida, there's that part in the, in the north of Florida where they have lots of oranges, all those orange groves. You go miles and miles and miles with oranges to the right of you, with oranges to the left of you, hundreds and thousands of tons of oranges all around you. And every now and then, they'll have a, a little shack by the side of the road that'll say fresh orange juice. And you can just pull the car over and they'll juice some of those wonderful Florida oranges for you. And it's so great. It's so wonderful having freshly squeezed orange juice right off the tree. Well, I heard about a family that was driving through Florida and they were in the orange area and they were passing by all these orange trees. And, and, and suddenly they looked over and there was that shack that said fresh orange juice. And they thought, wow, that sounds great. So they pulled in and they got out of their car and they went up and they said, we would love a big glass of freshly squeezed orange juice. And the lady behind the counter said, I'm sorry, sir, we have no orange juice. What? What do you mean you have no orange juice? We're surrounded by orange juice. Every tree that you can see is, you know, is, is full of oranges. And all of those oranges have juice. 
Can't you just pick one off and, you know, squeeze it on the thing? And, and ma- No, I'm sorry, sir, the machine is broken. We can't give you any orange juice. And you think about that. Surrounded by orange juice, and yet they were dependent upon a machine. The only way they knew how to get orange juice was this machine that was broken. And when I heard that story, I thought, you know what? As Christians, we're sometimes like that. I mean, if I was to ask this morning, how many of us have a Bible in our possession, a Bible in our homes? It's on the bookshelf, it's on the coffee table, wherever it is. I think I could say very safely here that every one of us here, every home has a Bible in it. And yet the problem sometimes as Christian is that we have become dependent upon other people to get that orange juice for us out of God's Word. That we've been dependent upon other people to tell us what's in the Bible. So we come on Sunday and we sit and we say, okay, Pastor Steve is going to squeeze us some oranges today and give us some freshly squeezed orange juice. He's going to take that word of God and he's going to break it down for us and he's going to give it to us in a way that we understand it. And you know what? That's wonderful. That's great. But can I tell you, if you're going to grow, if you're going to become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to be able to study this book. You have to be able to get the juice for yourself. The ability to feed yourself is a mark of spiritual maturity. Now, when you're a baby, someone fed you physically. I mean, because you were a baby. You didn't know how to feed yourself, and so you had to have a person, a parent, or someone else feed you. But you know what? When you got older, you learned how to feed yourself. That is a mark of maturity. And the same is true of spiritual maturity. If you are going to be spiritually mature, you have to know how to feed yourself out of this book. I want us to turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. You can open your Bibles, which you brought with you today. Or follow along on the screen behind me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 says this. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Look at verse 14 one more time. Solid food, maturity, is those who by constant use, that means you've gone back time and time and time again, constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. I want to say to you today that the Bible is a wonderful book. The Bible is the book. It is the best-selling book of all time and always will be. It's been done in more languages by more people. The Bible is a unique book. But can I say to you, sometimes we as Christians do not spend nearly as much time in this book as we should. 
A few years ago, George Barna wrote a book called The State of the Church. In it, he conducted a survey. Now, this is America, which is different than here. But in that survey, he asked people who were Christians. Okay, now remember, this isn't just anybody off the street, somebody who's never heard of the Bible or anything like this. These are people who confess to be born-again Christians. He asked them a number of questions. This is what the survey showed. The survey showed that 48% could not name the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 52% could not identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples. 60% could not name even five of the Ten Commandments. 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. 71% thought that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. And 61% thought the expression, God helps those who help themselves, which was written by Benjamin Franklin, was actually in the Bible. He concluded his survey by saying this, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't know what it says. And because they don't know it, They have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Now, of course, that's America, right? Let's pick on the Americans. I think the situation is perhaps not so different here in Canada. We have to learn how to feed ourselves. We have to know how to study this book. So how do you do it? When I was a kid, I had lots of pastors, lots of people preach to me upon, upon the importance of studying the Bible. But nobody ever told me how to do it. Well, today I just want to spend some time sharing maybe some pointers on how to do it. And before I start, I just want to say something. We're continuing this series on time to grow. Last week we talked about prayer. This week we're talking about Bible study. I have learned as a pastor over the years that if you really want to guilt people into doing something, if you want to really make people squirm in the seeds and really bring a lot of guilt on people, all you need to do is talk about prayer and Bible study. Because those are the two areas that we always say, oh, I just, I, just, I just never do enough of that. There's always so much more I could do. I want to just say to you this morning as we begin, I don't want to guilt you into anything. I don't want you to walk away feeling like you've been beaten up, feeling like, oh, Pastor Steve was really guilting me. No, this is not for guilt. This is simply to say, you know what, this is an important area of our Christian lives, and I just want to encourage you this morning to keep on, keep on, keep on moving forward with your study of God's Word. So how do you do that? How do you study God's Word? Well, let me start off by saying this. It's very important, before you even open the Bible, it's very important that you don't skip the first step. If you are going to be a student of the Bible, number one, you have to accept it. You have to accept it. In other words, you have to acknowledge the authority of the Bible. If you think that this is just another book, Just words on a page. You know, it's sitting there next to a book by John Grisham, next to a book by whoever. If you think this is just another book, then you are not going to approach this book with the attention it deserves. 
you're just going to count it as another book. If you come as a skeptic thinking, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to see what it says, but you know what, if it doesn't line up with what I think, then, you know, forget that. Or if you approach this book saying, you know what, I like this page. This is a nice page. This page, not so much. I'm just going to rip that page out of the Bible, you know, get rid of it. And, and oh, this page is open, but this page, no, I don't like this page. If you approach the Bible like that, you're probably not going to get much out of it. Okay? You have to accept the Bible as being authoritative, as being what it is, the Word of God. I heard a story about a high school teacher, and the high school teacher was in front of the classroom, and he said one day, you know, I tried reading the Bible once, but I really didn't get a whole lot out of it. And there was this one girl in the class, and she was a Christian, and she kind of put her hand up, and the teacher said, yes? And she said, well, sir, the Bible is God's love letter to his children. Maybe the reason you didn't get anything from it is because you were just reading someone else's mail. You see, in order to get something from this book, you have to know the author of this book. And can I say to you, the Bible is unique in that what other book have you ever read, have you read with the author of the book sitting beside you? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Imagine reading a book by whatever author, I mean, you name the author, you know, you're reading a book and, 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 and you're in the middle of the book and suddenly you get to a point and you go, man, I don't understand that. And then you turn and the author is sitting next to you and you go, hey, what does this mean when you wrote this, this, this? Oh, well, well, it means this. And, and this is kind of what I was trying to say. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. And you keep on, I mean, you can't do that, right? Mostly. But the Bible, the Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit is in us. And we can ask, and we're encouraged to ask the author of the book, as we go through the book, what the book means, and to illuminate that truth in our lives. You have to understand, you have to accept the Bible's authority. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, We thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. John Stott once wrote this. We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. And we must learn to sit humbly under its judgment instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confined, confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. The scripture says it this way, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like John Wesley, all of us have to say, you know, John Wesley used to say, I am a man of one book. I am a man of one book. And all of us as Christians are followers of one book. One authoritative book that stands apart from any other thing. Who has the authority in your life? Who calls the shots in your life? If you're doing something and this book says something differently, do you believe it? Do you change your behavior? 
Does it call the shots in your life? Number one, you have to accept it. If you're going to study the Bible, number one, you have to accept it. But number two, after you accept it, you have to analyze it. Now, what does that mean, analyze it? A closed Bible doesn't do anyone any good. You cannot learn anything from a closed Bible. You can take this Bible and you can put it under your pillow and sleep on it at night. You know, it's, it's not going to by osmosis, you know, make its way into your brain and you're going to wake up a mature Christian in the morning. It doesn't work like that. You have to actually read the book. You have to actually get into the book. And getting into the book means analyzing the book. Jerry Vines once said that an unread Bible is like food uneaten. It's like a love letter never read, a buried sword, a road map unstudied, gold never mined. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul said, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So are you a person who correctly handles the word of truth? In order to be that, you have to read it. You have to actually get into it and learn from it. Maybe you're thinking, well, okay, Pastor Steve, I understand when you're saying I should read the Bible, I should study the I should do it, but, 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 but how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, here's some tips. Number one, before you open up the Bible, pray. The, the prerequisite to all Bible study is prayer. You ask God for guidance. You need the Holy Spirit to help illuminate the truths of this word and make them real and make them living and active in your life. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. And that's a wonderful prayer to pray. Every time you open this book, God, open my eyes so that I can understand, so that I can see what it is you're trying to teach me from this book. For a hundred years ago, one of the greatest leading astronomers was a guy by the name of Sir Percival Lowell. Mr. Lowell was a great astronomer. He had this great big telescope. And with that telescope, he would look up into the heavens. And he saw stars and he saw planets. He was one of the guys who mapped out some of the planets and how many moons those planets had. But Sir Percival Lowell had a great fascination with the planet Mars, the red planet. And with his great telescope, he would look out at Mars. And as he studied Mars with even more and more and more powerful telescopes, pretty soon he began to see that as he sat and as he looked at Mars, he noticed that on the surface of Mars, there were markings. And the more he looked at those markings, he realized that those markings were actually canals that there were canals on Mars, showing that probably at some point, somebody had lived on Mars. And he was even able to start mapping out those canals, marking out where on the surface of the red planet each one of those canals was. He published a book on that. That book was widely distributed. There were thousands and thousands of very well-known astronomers who believed that Mars was covered with a network of canals and that that indicated that there was once life on Mars. Since then, we have sent probes to Mars. We have made bigger telescopes and looked at Mars like we've never looked at it before. And no one has ever seen a canal on Mars. 
So what was it that Sir Percival Lowell saw? Well, he had an ailment that was later called Lowell's disease. With that ailment, as he looked through his telescope, as he stared hour after hour into that telescope, what he was actually seeing was the swollen blood vessels in the back of his eye. And so as he looked through that telescope at the planet, he was seeing the blood vessels on the back of his eye, and they looked like little canals on the surface of Mars. See, there was nothing there. It was just him. Likewise, when we look intently at the Word of God, we don't want to see just ourselves. We don't want to look at this book and come out to this book with our own prejudices, with our own culture, with our own understanding. We want to say, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, reveal to me what's actually there. What the Word of God actually says. And if it's different than my understanding, then change my understanding. Pray, number one. Ask God for guidance. But after prayer comes the next step. And the next step is pencil. Pencil. If you're going to study the Bible, you're going to have to take notes. Now, I know some of you hate taking notes, all right? You've said that to me. Oh, Pastor, I don't write very well. Look, if anyone has ever seen my handwriting, it looks like a chicken scratched across the page. I should have been a doctor with the handwriting that I have, you know, because only I can read it. So don't complain to me that your handwriting is bad or that it takes... You know, that, that's not an excuse. I want to say this morning that the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. Did you hear that? The shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. You're listening to what I'm saying right now, but you're not going to remember this. None of you. Studies show that an hour after a person has spoken, that you retain less than, less than 20%, sometimes less than 10% of what you've heard. And within a week, that number gets even higher. You see, pastors have this nightmare. I don't know about all pastors, but I have this nightmare. And in this nightmare, I walk out of church after a Sunday morning service. And as I walk outside of the church... There is my message all over the parking lot. You know, I'm just kind of wading through my message. All the words that have been spoken are just laying there. And people, as they've walked out to their cars, have just been letting that message come out their ears. Lum da dum da dum da dum. And as they get in their car and as they go off for lunch, there's just this tiny little remnant of that message somewhere deep in their subconscious that's, you know, stuck there. Maybe a story that they heard or maybe an illustration that was given. But most of it is gone. It's forgotten. That's the reality. And that's also the reality when you pick up this word and when you study it. What's the difference between Bible study and personal devotions? I mean, personal devotions means, you know, okay, uh, it's, it's bedtime and I'm going to pray a little bit and I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to read, you know, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites. Oh, that's nice. Okay, all right. Good night. Are you going to remember that in the morning? Well, maybe, hopefully, some of it. The difference between Bible study and devotions is that you write it down. You write it down. You take a pencil with you and you sit down and you make notes on what it is you're reading. 
If you want to remember it, if you want it to be important, if you want it to be life-transforming, you have to write it down. You have to take notes. Can I say to you that's true of this message that you're hearing right now? I, see, I just saw some people put their pencils up in their hand. Okay, God bless you. I see some of those pencils. You know. If you will get in the habit of bringing a pencil with you to church and a pad of paper, and instead of just sitting and listening to the message, you're just jotting down a few, jo- a few notes of the basic points. And then during the week, if you will go back and look at that one time, you will remember more than double what you would have remembered otherwise. Anybody remember that Tom Hanks movie where he was stranded on a desert island? The movie Castaway? Anybody here remember that movie? Yeah, some of you have seen it. In the movie, Tom Hanks works for FedEx and the plane crashes and he's on the island and he finds all these packages. And he, and he goes through all these packages. In one, there's a pair of ice skates and he uses that to whack his tooth out. And in some, there's you know, some, some tape or some you know, videotape and he uses that to you know, wrap up the, the raft. And, and, but there's that one package and he decides, you know what, instead of opening this last package, I'm going to just leave it and I'm going to someday deliver that package. And at the very end of the movie, we know that that's what happens. He gets rescued. He takes that one package and he goes to the house where that woman lives and, and, and he, you know, he wants to deliver that package. Nice movie. But has anyone ever seen the, Fe, the, uh, the Super Bowl FedEx version of that in a commercial? In the commercial, it's Tom Hanks and he has that package under his arm and he goes up to that door and he knocks on the door and this time the lady comes to the door. And he says, you know what, I was stranded on this desert island for years and I had this package with me the whole time and I, I just wanted to make sure I delivered this package in person. And so he hands the lady the package and he's walking away and he says, oh, by the way, I have to know what's in the package. I mean, didn't anyone wonder what was in that package, you know? What's in the package? And the lady said, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. And she opens it up and she says, it's just a global positioning satellite unit. And uh, oh, here's a satellite phone that you can call from anywhere in the world. And here's some water purification tablets. And here's some seeds. And here's some fish hooks and bait. And, you know, and all this. And she just starts, and everything that she pulls out of that package was stuff that would have gotten him rescued. If he had just opened it. And what I'm trying to say to you today is that if you want to open this book, if you want to get from this book the stuff that will change your life, you know what? If you come to this book with a pencil in your hand, you will immediately see the difference. When I was a young man, when I was in university, I found Bible study to be terribly difficult. I would open up the Bible and I would read the Bible. I never got anything from it. And one day somebody told me something. He said, try this. And I tried it, and it changed the way I did my Bible study. He said this. He said, I want you to convince yourself that this coming Sunday in church, you're going to teach that verse of the Bible. I said, well, I don't understand. He goes, just, just do that. I want you to, this week, take one chapter... And I want you to read that chapter and I want you to prepare that chapter as if you were going to teach it on Sunday at church. And I said, okay. So I got out the 
book. And I read the verses I'd done a hundred times before. And then I thought, well, you know, what does it mean? So I read it again. And then I picked up a pencil and I started writing down some notes. Well, if I was going to teach this, I would probably open with this. And I would say, you know, point one and point two. And I would probably do this and I would probably do that. And, 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 and I realized suddenly I was starting to understand it. Because when you have to teach something, you have to know it, right? And week after week, month after month, year after year, for six years, I wrote down messages that I never taught. For six years, every week, I would prepare a message that I never gave. So by the time I finally got to seminary, man, I had notes, I had books and books and books filled with with messages I had never given, simply that I had prepared. But it opened up the Bible to me because that pencil in my hand had made the difference. If you're going to study the Bible, you need to pray, number one. You need to pencil, number two. Number three, you need to ponder. In other words, you need to meditate on it. I've said before the importance of meditation, so I'm not going to go over that again. But I've had people say to me before, how do you ponder? What, What does it mean to ponder a passage? What does it mean to meditate on it? You've said before, it's like a cow, you know, regurgitating, you know. How, how do you do that? Well, well, let me give you some, some ideas of what I do. When I ponder, sometimes I picture it. I picture it. In other words, I visualize what's happening in that passage. I mean, you read about the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross and you think, oh, that's very nice. But have you ever just said, you know what? What would that really have been like? And you picture yourself kneeling before the cross and looking up into the scarred face of Jesus with the crown of thorns. And you you ask yourself, if I looked up into the face of Jesus and he looked down upon me from the cross, what would he say to me? What would that moment have been like? What are the smells in the air? What, what, What would that have been like? You, you put yourself, you picture yourself, you use hopefully your sanctified imagination a little bit, and you try to place yourself in that passage of Scripture. You picture it, you pronounce it, number two. You pronounce it. In other words, you take the sentence, a single sentence, and you say it over and over and over again, only you pronounce and you put emphasis on the different words at different times. For example... I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We all know that verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Probably said it a hundred times. However, have you ever tried doing it like this? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things. Not some things or a few things. All things. I can do all things through Him. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's His power and it's His glory and it's His kingdom. You see, you take each little word and you emphasize that word in a different place in the sentence and suddenly you find that that sentence comes alive. Words are important. If you don't believe that, maybe you've never heard the story of the wealthy woman who was traveling overseas. It was about a hundred years ago, and they didn't have phones, you know. It was, it was where they still had teletext to send messages across the ocean. And, and, and this woman went to a store, and she saw in that store a beautiful bracelet. But there was a problem. The bracelet cost $75,000. 
And so she wanted to know whether or not her husband would let her buy that bracelet. And so he sent, she sent a wire back to her husband. And the, the wire simply said this, Have found wonderful bracelet. Price, 75000 May I buy it? Her husband read the cable and almost had a heart attack and promptly wrote back the following wire. No, comma, price too high. However, when she received the message, there was no comma, no price too high. And so she came back with a very expensive bracelet. The power of a comma, right? That was a $75,000 comma. Words are important. So when you approach the Word of God, when you're reading a sentence, concentrate on the words. Put detail, put emphasis on each word, on each letter. Picture it, pronounce it, paraphrase it. Paraphrase it. In other words, put it in your own words. Put it in your own words. When you're studying the Bible, look, there's a lot of people in this church right here that are bilingual. You speak English and you speak low German pretty much the same, right? You're good at one, you're good with the other. Why not, when you do Bible study, open up both those Bibles? Have them together. You read the verse in one, you read the verse in the other. What does it say here? What does it say there? In that way, you're going to see things in one version or another that maybe are different. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make that verse come alive. If you're just English, there's lots of different English versions. You can have one version of the Bible open, and then beside it you can have a paraphrase, like the Message or the New Living Translation or, or another paraphrased version. So you read this, and then you read that. You read this, you say, oh, this is what it says. You read that. Oh, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of an interesting way of looking at it. That way you can begin understanding in more detail what it's actually saying if you read it in more than one. You know, borrow a friend's Bible. Try it. Picture it. Pronounce it. Paraphrase it. Personalize it. Personalize it means put your name in it. Put your name in there. John 3.16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But have you ever personalized that verse? For God so loved Steve, that He gave Steve His one and only Son, that if Steve should believe in Him, then Steve should not perish, but have everlasting life. Put your name in the Bible. Probe it. Ask questions. Read the verse and then ask all kinds of questions. For example, in this passage, is there a sin to confess, a promise to claim, an attitude to change, a command to obey, an example to follow, a prayer to pray, an error to avoid, a truth to believe, or something that I should thank God for? And lastly, pray the verse. After you've read the verse and studied the verse, pray that verse back to God. God, I just want to thank you for this passage. I, Lord, I just, want to, I just want to do what it says. You must accept it. You must analyze it. And lastly, in conclusion, you must apply it. You have to live the Bible out. This is the goal of Bible study. It's not information, 
but transformation. Someone once said, the goal of Bible study is to apply the truth of Scripture to life. If that application is not made, then all the work put into making sure of the author's intended meaning will have gone for naught. In fact, to know and not to do doubles the offense of disobedience. Some of you here like drinking tea. We all know that if you take a tea bag and you put the tea bag in the cup, the longer it stays, what? The, the, the more concentrated the tea, right? Same tea bag, same water. The only difference is time. The same thing is true in this Bible. You want this Bible to be in your life? You have to spend time in it. The more time you're in this word, the more of this word will be in you. It's as easy as that. You have to do it, though. You have to apply it. Heard a story of four ministers who were talking about which version of the Bible they liked. The first minister said, you know, I like the King James Version, the old English style. It's what I grew up with. I just like that version. The second minister said, well, I kind of like the, the New American Standard Bible. It's the closest to the original language, the Greek and the Hebrew, and so that's the one I use. The third minister said, oh, I like the, 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 the living translation. It's, it's very simple English. It's very easy to understand, and, and my English isn't so good. So that's what I like. And, and they asked the fourth minister, what translation do you read? And the man thought to himself and finally said, you know, I think I like my dad's translation the best. They said, well, your dad's translation, what is that? And they said, well, it's the version of the... Do- it's the version of the Bible that my father lived out for me every day of my life. That's the version I like the best. Are we living out God's word? Can people read God's word by looking at your life? Are you applying its truth? The B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, as I heard one person once say. It's God's love letter to us. In it contains all the truth that we need to live a fulfilling and powerful life. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes it. I am not ashamed of what's in this book, because I know that like that parcel from that movie, in this book, there's a lot of good stuff. A lot of stuff that would change your life if you simply were to read it and to study it. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, it is a wonderful word. It's life-giving. It's a living and active word, Father. It's transforming lives all around the world today. And for that, we're very thankful. We thank you, Lord, that it is inspired, that it's God-breathed. And, Father, in it contains your message to each one of us. Father, I pray, and I recognize, Father, there are times in my life where I have not been in this book like I should. I have let it sit on the shelf far too long, and I have not been a student of your word as I could have. Father, I just want to pray for each one of us here that, Lord, we would not let this book sit unread. 
we would not rely upon someone else to juice this book for us. But that, Father, we would take what we have and we would use it. We would be serious about being students of your word. Not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Thank you, Father, for this. We pray these things in Jesus' name.